You're listening to the Homelessness Services Association podcast. This is an audio-only version of one of our webinars addressing the challenges of frontline and shelter work during the coronavirus crisis. If you'd like to view the video or look at the slides, please go to hsa-bc.ca. Well, good morning and welcome to HSABC's webinar, COVID-19, Navigating Emergency Supports and EI Measures for Nonprofit Staff and Managers. My name is Sarah Kift and I'm your host for today. So that's the face to the voice that you're hearing right now. And when you use the question section, I'll be the person that you're chatting to. So I just want to take a minute to acknowledge that this is a stressful time for many of us as well as those we provide services to. And I want to say thank you for taking the time to join us today. Hopefully the content we provide will help you to lead well and with courage in the midst of this crisis. All right, we're also going to run a little poll here and we have a couple of them. Um, this is just to um, get a sense of who you are and where you're coming from this morning. So the first one is, what is your role in your organization? Are you a manager or a supervisor? Maybe you're a board member or director, frontline staff, support staff, or other. And um, please type in if you um, chose other and let me know uh, what that means for you. I know I've been doing frontline work for a long time for a variety of organizations, and sometimes I have multiple roles. So even though you only get to choose one this morning, uh, I, I understand that we're often shouldering lots of different responsibilities, especially uh, during times of crisis. So we've got a nice split. We've got a lot of support staff on the line today. That's fantastic. Um, a couple of board members and directors. It's great to have you, some managers and supervisors. And there's a large contingent of others. So uh, managers, house managers, lots of people on the line. Thank you for sharing that. And this is Marsha and Jill. They are here with us today. Uh, Marsha is a chartered professional in human resources with 15 or more, 15 plus years in management of nonprofit housing and residential tenancy program offices. And she also has over 18 years as a senior level HR practitioner. Um, she's also the founder and the CEO of the Wisdom Group, which is a small consortium of independent consultants providing services to nonprofits who don't necessarily have internal administration and HR resources. We're also happy to have Jill Westlake with us today. Jill is an independent consultant with the Wisdom Group, and she has over 15 years of management experience in human resources and payroll. And Jill's areas of expertise include systems, HR management, recruitment, attendance management, payroll and benefits. So these two instructors really do know their stuff and they've taken the time to sort through um, the Government of Canada's website and take a look at all of the supports available and help put them into uh, plain language for you today. So welcome you guys. Glad to have you here. Thanks so much, Sarah. Thank you. Uh, Jill and I are pleased to be part of this effort um, we know how um, difficult it must be. I have a number of clients that I'm working with directly, and um, every day is a new challenge. Um, I think about three weeks ago when we started out on this journey, everybody was flying by the seat of their pants. They didn't know what was what, what, what was coming. The ben all of the programs hadn't been announced at that time. So, <clears throat> excuse me, and we didn't have the benefit of some of the webinars, the free webinars that have been out there, which I hope you guys have had an opportunity to take advantage of. Just checking in here about categorizing what your society or your nonprofit, what their mandate is. Um, this just helps Jill and Marsha to know what to speak to today. Um, so are, is it housing, homelessness, mental health and addictions, halfway house or reintegration services? And again, the catch-all other, which you can type into the question section and let us know. And it, you can select all that apply because there may be more than one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. so often we're doing multiple, multiple things. So we also have in the other category, um, provincial income assistance services. Um, guessing MSD means Ministry of Social Development. 
great. 78% of us are in housing, 72 in homelessness. I mean, obviously these numbers don't add up to 100. Uh, mental health and addictions are well represented and halfway houses and, and reintegration services, as well as um, lots of other categories there. That's great. I always hate just to put the other because it it, it seems to minimize what uh, what groups do, but it's only because you only have five categories. So it's it's good to know that we've got a good variety of um, s- services and supports represented today. Um, I'm going to get this wrong, I think, but it's our privilege to be presenting this to you from the unceded territories of the Squamish, Musqueam, and Tsleil-Waututh First Nations. Um, and we wanted to acknowledge that upfront before we started the webinar. So today we're all we're going to be looking at navigating some of the emergency supports and the EI measures that are out there. There's um, a lot that's been presented, and you probably heard about many of them. Um, and so some of this might be repetitive for some of you, but bear with us. Um, we're hoping to get to a point where we can take your questions and get into the more crunchier details uh, when we get towards the end. So um, this is pretty much, I think, how how these how thing people are feeling these days. I know when I get up in the morning, I just I have to give my head a shake and think, are we still there? Are we still in this mess? And it really is, to use a word that's been used probably ad nauseum, but an unprecedented time in our history. Absolutely everybody across the globe is affected in some way or another. Um, and it's a fluid situation. I mean, we're, we're going day to day and, and hoping that we're able to beat this thing um, and watching the numbers. Um, and some of us are going out at seven o'clock at night and banging our pots and pans and thanking our healthcare workers uh, and the people on the front lines and our emergency response people. And um, it's 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 been a, an amazing short journey so far, um, and and I know it's it's been difficult. So uh, not to understate that in any way. Um, we are getting new directives daily um, on on in terms of our healthcare and workplace preventative measures that you can take, um, and our own personal healthcare and uh, the notion the whole notions around physical distancing and washing hands. Um, so I'm um, hoping that everybody's following those to the letter. Um, I, I know I'm trying to do the best that I can. I prevented my husband from having the grandchildren here. So um, that's not a happy thing for him. But you know what? It's necessary at this point in time. So and then there's a certain amount. Of, there's a lot of un, un, sorry, economic uncertainty, um, which underscores the, the extreme seriousness of the situation. Uh, it would be very interesting in how we get back to normal if we ever do uh, and how long that will take. And of course, the public health issue is paramount. It's the one thing that we are working every day to um, to overcome. So, Marsha, there's one more poll here about um, preparedness. Would you like me to write now? Sure. Let's do that. All right. So just take a quick moment to share um, how prepared your society is in managing through this pandemic. And these results are anonymous, so uh, you're allowed to be honest (laughs) here. Um, It's sort of like some, I find myself being prepared in strange ways, but then in other ways completely unprepared because this is a situation I keep reminding myself that we've never been in before. There's not a lot to compare it to. Um, So there's a lot of unknowns, which makes it hard to be prepared. I'm sure that, okay, so unprepared, that's good, nobody, but I, you might have felt unprepared right at the very beginning, but managing through it day to day and, and pretty much have to. Um, you guys are essential services and um, the people that, that we support are the most, amongst the most vulnerable. Um, and, and so it's, it's important to be out there. So yeah, so far so good, but concerned about lies, what lies ahead. So, but, but so common that's what I'm hearing from everybody um and I and I, I said this before I had another webinar I was doing and some people have a plan and it's working well I would really 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 like to hear from you folks afterwards because what we're trying to do is um offer that kind of knowledge and information to others even though it doesn't seem like you might have a chance to plan for now um noting what's working well 
uh, at what you're doing, what's working well is really helpful for when you have the luxury of a, uh, time to be able to plan later on. So um, that's great. Thank you all for that. So what we're going to cover today are some of the legislative and regulatory changes, including um, anticipated changes in, in case law. I'm not a lawyer, but um, been listening to some lawyers in some of these webinars, so I'm going to just kind of repeat what they said. We're going to give you an overview of the government's response, uh, both the federal and BC government. And um, then we're going to get down to some of the more uh, detailed information about what's available to individuals and families. So that would be to your employees and their families and what assistance is available to businesses and nonprofits um, and how it's being provided. Um, we're going to give you a number of links to resources so that you can um, get a hold of these the information that we're drawing this from and be able to get updates because if it's a link to a resource, they're being updated regularly. And then we're going to take some time to answer questions. Hopefully we'll be able to answer as many as we can. Justin McElroy from CBC has been providing updates on this particular graph. It's interesting in the sense that you get to see where we are on the curve. Um, British Columbia is starting to flatten out a little bit. Um, and I don't know if you guys are familiar with the um, Worldometer site, but it's a, it kind of gives you the global numbers. It, it's a site that covers off all kinds of um, statistics on a regular basis, but it has a specific tab on coronavirus. So um, if you want to take a look at that, you can see what's going on. Um, so here we are compared to Spain, Italy, and France. Uh, and this is um, the most updated copy I have of this. It might be a more, more um, recent one. But you can see, I mean, the good news is we are starting to flatten the curve in British Columbia. So People are listening to what the government's telling them to do, what our public health officials are telling them to do. And I have to say it's very calming listening to Dr. Bonnie Henry every day. She's, she has this <clears throat> way about her, excuse me, that um, instills a certain amount of confidence and calm. Who you are, you're, you're basically dealing with the most vulnerable population in, <clears throat> excuse me, in our society. Uh, and you would be businesses and nonprofits that provide food, shelter, social and support service and other necessities of life for economically disadvantaged or otherwise vulnerable individuals. And so there's a list of, of uh, COVID-19 essential services that the government has put out. So you would uh, you would also be, I think, amongst the funders if the ministries here, you'll be funding a lot of the services and supports. Um, so everybody on the line is probably still operating. Um, maybe not completely or in full, but you are operating um, definitely um, as being declared an essential service. Your people are out there continuing to provide services. There are some measures that you can and may be already taking. Um, so if in fact you're, you have people who have the ability to be able to work at home, they are essential service workers, but they are able to work, they work out of the office, let's say, or they're able to work primarily from home and um, <clears throat> either connect with people by phone or online, um, that's great. Um, then they have the ability to basically uh, quarantine at home. And um, that is probably one of the safest places people can be. Uh, another thing you can do and may have to do is reduce the hours for some people if they're not if their workload is not as heavy as it would normally be. Um, and there are programs that the government has that help you to make those people whole in terms of their salary. And I'm going to let Jill talk to some of those things later. Um, one of the um, one of the options that is highly recommended is the ability to rotate shifts um, a little bit more than you would otherwise do. And that would accommodate people who have to commute in. They can take, um, they can commute in, take transit at a, a time when it's less busy. But it also allows people to have the ability to um, to rest between shifts a little bit more. So you can have some overlap, um, and you can re reduce the number of people that are working a shift so they can safe distance from each other. Uh, flexible shifts is another thing you can do, especially if people have responsibilities at home for someone. Um, kids, obviously families are at home together, so but the kids are often um, not going to school in most cases. So 
uh, there may be a need for the parents to, uh, if they're both working, to be able to um, be at home, one of them or the other at some point. Um, there are a number of paid leave entitlements. So if you can, if you don't have, if, sorry, if you have people in your workforce who are non-essential, um, you're able to use some of these paid leave entitlements. Um, and the, uh, I'll talk about this in a second, but the Employment Standards Act has expanded the um, type and nature of these kinds of leaves. Um, and then you can, uh, there's the EI, as you know, has um, supported leaves of absence that have existed before, but have been expanded to a certain degree. And those would include your medical leave, your family responsibility leave, and um, compassionate leave, compassionate care leave, um, all of which relate to the COVID crisis. And then you can have temporary layoffs. And, I'm gonna, and, and so a temporary layoff would be a situation where you're retaining the employee on staff, but you're letting them go for a period of time. And it's up to 13 weeks. Um, you don't have to provide notice. The person on tempor temporary layoff, um, you basically code it as a shortage of work in the ROE, and they're able to claim EI, um, which they should apply for. And then EI determines whether or not EI is going to be the greater of that payment or the Canada Emergency Response Benefit that Jill's going to talk about later on. So these are things that you can do. These are measures you can take. Um, to help you manage through the crisis and help people be able to be as safe as possible. Um, because what you want to do is um, reduce that level of uh, fear and anxiety related to having to come to, into work every day. In terms of the changes to the Employment Standards Act, um, they have expanded leave and made it uh, so that it can be related to any of the COVID-19 um, protections. Um, there is a protection from termination so that the whole point of the leave, the COVID-related leave in the Employment Standard Act is to guarantee people their employment upon return. So um, you wouldn't necessarily have that before. I mean, somebody might have been laid off and then never returned to work, might never have been called back to work. In this case, uh, COVID, leave and COVID leave anticipates an individual coming back to the workforce that guarantees their job. The leave... Um, is indefinite in the sense that we just don't know how long this is going on for. Um, so you could start off with the 13 weeks and then seek to e extend it. Uh, there's a way of doing that. And it may be that as this goes on, that the Employment Standards Act will be further amended to make the leave longer. Uh, service is continuous. So if they are, they may not accrue vacation and sick leave, but their service would be counted towards their seniority. It's important if you have a union or if there's seniority that factors in, into any one of their perks or uh, any any of the um, ability to to uh, prefer to, to put in a preference for vacation or whatever. So bear that in mind. <clears throat> Medical notes are not required. This is really important because ordinarily you might seek to the employee to bring a medical note after so many days. They're not requiring them for obvious reasons. They don't want people going to their physicians or to the emergency rooms or to the clinics where they might be exposed to someone who has COVID-19. Um, so there's no need for notice and it's retroactive to January 27th. So um, if you haven't done it yet, that's okay. If you did it before now, that's okay too. So WorkSafe BC. This still applies. So from WorkSafe, from in terms of occupational health and safety legislation, it still applies. So if somebody refuses work because they believe, they fear that they're going to contract COVID-19, you would go through the same process as you would normally. The employee would have to report that to their supervisor. The supervisor would then take steps to deal with um, WorkSafe BC to determine whether or not there is a valid and justifiable reason. Um, the reasoning includes a number of factors. So it might be that they're exposed to either clients or workers, colleagues who are known to have COVID-19. Um, COVID um, they themselves have been exposed. They're returning from uh, being abroad, although that's probably not the case anymore unless they've been on an extended 
an extended voyage somewhere. Um, and, and they've also added uh, a generalized fear and anxiety of coming to work. So as you probably know from past experience, if somebody refuses to do work, then the employer is, and the WorkSafe agrees that it's justifiable, then the employer must take steps to um, remove the hazard or to reduce and protect, reduce the, the, um, the, the, the danger to the worker. And, um, and you can do that either by offering a, an opportunity to work remotely or just looking at the worker, what the worker does and putting in place measures to protect them. So if they have to work face-to-face -face with somebody, that they have the right PPE, that the proper PPE, PPE um, and that they're, and if they're doing counseling, that they can either do it by phone or um, in person, but six feet apart. So they're not having, an, so there's absolutely no physical touching, physical distancing, um, sorry, physical touching with the, um, with the client. Um, these rules don't apply to people who are in the business of providing healthcare and ha of necessity have to be closer to clients um, or patients. It doesn't, it doesn't apply to first responders. Um, obviously, they may have to take steps to, to touch or hold somebody in order to save them or to, to help them through a, through a situation. Um, and you have to keep in mind your vulnerable workers. So if somebody has an underlying, uh, a serious underlying medical condition or they're older than 65, we do have people in the workforce who are older than 65. And then um, if they have uh, a comp compromised immune system and they have therefore a generalized fear of coming to work because they might contract COVID, you can then take any of the measures that I spoke of earlier um, one might be to offer a temporary layoff so that they can claim income through EI or the emergency response benefit. So um, at the at the very end, the provided links, you don't have to worry about these here, and you will get a copy of the slides, right, Sarah? Yes, it's in the handout section right now as a PDF, and you can download oh, it, perfect. and it'll okay. also be on our website as well. Okay, that's great. And on the Wisdom Group website, we've also got a COVID tab that has a myriad of resources that you can link up to and um, and hopefully that will help as well. Um, so uh, case law, ordinarily, if you are going to, oh, so there are other things you can do. And one of them is to reduce hours, um, reduce pay, cut certain benefits. Although um, they do suggest that you not cut benefits at this stage, uh, or sorry, that you retain people on at least the uh, extended health and dental benefits if you're laying them off, because they will probably need them. Um, normally, under case law, any of those measures would be seen as constructive dismissal, and um, you would be subject to paying severance and providing or and or providing the necessary notice, period. Um, it's It can get quite expensive for more senior um, people in more senior positions because they have to have the ability to mitigate their losses, um, which means that they have to be able to find a similar position at, the, at a similar level. And that's virtually impossible um, for many, many industries right now. Um, may not be so much for, for our industry, but I don't think anybody is purposefully leaving their job, you know, unless they're, um, yeah, I don't think, I mean, I, I know some people who are quitting, but it's not a good idea to do that. So let's just say um, there probably aren't, isn't a lot of room to, to move into a new position. So the, the courts would look at that and say, um, that's not, so, so they've kind of, re, so what's happening is according to the lawyers from the webinars that I've attended, they would be relaxing some of the rules around constructive dismissal. So if you, we're going to be put in a position where your operation was seriously affected because you had to continue to keep everybody on payroll at the same level and pay the same benefits and give them the same hours, then the constructive dismissal rules would, would not apply. Um, and they're thinking that there hasn't been no case laws yet, but case law will happen after all this is said and done. Um, but the lawyers are saying, given the circumstances, it's better to have the operations, especially in the essential services ongoing, people continue to be an employee of those services, whether they're temporarily laid off or not, 
and also businesses. So they want to, they want there to be able to be a continuation of business so that when we all get, when all of this passes, um, we can get back to normal and everybody can be reemployed and working again. The one thing they do suggest is that if you're going to do a temporary layoff, you should get the written agreement of the employee. And also if you're going to cut benefits in any way, um, and that might be if you have the matching RRSP contribution, that might be something you would, you would consider. Um, or if you're going to cut hours in any way, you want to have the written agreement. So of your employees that are doing that, just, um, just so there's no issue later on. So I'm just going to give you an overview of the government response and then hand it over to Jill, um, who's going to provide some more details and then we'll answer some of your questions. So this is an old slide and I'm sorry, I, I believe that they have invested more than this at this point in time, but the economic response plan that um, is at the federal level um, is offering 27 plus billion to workers and businesses to support them through this through, through this period. And then another $55 billion in tax deferrals, which um, Jill will go into in a little bit more detail. And the provincial government has committed 5 billion, 28 point, sorry, 2.8 billion on people and services and 2.2 billion on business economic recovery. And these also include direct payments to individuals and deferments. So I'm going to pass it over to Jill, who can talk to these programs. We're going to start with um, assistance to individuals and families, so assistance to your employees and families. Great. Thank you, Marcia. Um, we're going to first off go with the direct payments that I think a lot of people are very familiar with and maybe some not so familiar with. Um, the first one is the Canada Emergency Response Benefit. It just opened up this week, I believe, on April 6th. And so far from what I hear, it has actually been one of the better success stories, although I have read a few articles where a few people have gotten overpayments. So I'm not sure how that's going to work. But basically, this um, the Canada Emergency Response Benefit is for people who kind of fall through the cracks with EI. They might not be EI eligible, and so it's supposed to catch those who are not EI eligible. And it is a set amount of money, which is um, $2,000 or $500 a week up to four months. Um, and it's basically for those who um, have lost um, inc their income due to sickness, quarantine, job loss, taking care of a sick family member or um, a child that was in um, that's closed um, from school or um, daycare. And I believe this week when it did open up, um, they were going by birth dates of what day you could um, sign up for. And as far as I know, again, the sign up was extremely um, simple. Um, it sort of outlined what you had to do um, to qualify. And then I think it was just a couple of pages to click through and um, they would follow up with you if they had any questions. I think what they're doing is automatically approving right now. And then, yeah. um, and then later on, yeah. follow up. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Um, it, it, it's not a total catch-all. There are still some people that fall through the cracks. And I believe that certain groups have been um, identified that might fall through a crack. And I know that Sarah was talking about um, maybe there's... Um, a, a student who um, can't find work and is over 30, so doesn't qualify for some other programs that technically would come into um, this program. But again, if you don't um, match all the qualifications, um, one of the big ones is that you have to be earned $5,000 um, last year or in the last 12 months. Um, so uh, this person could fall through the cracks, but I believe that they are looking at those who are falling through the cracks and hopefully may be able to be a part of this or they might put out something in the future. Um, the next one is the Enhanced Canada Child Benefit. And, and basically for this one, um, they have increased uh, the benefits. So, so basically um, eligible to receive $300 more um, per month. And then the Enhanced EI Sick Benefit, um, so these are, again, your leave of absences, which um, Marcia has talked about. So they um, basically have um, extended the um, 
the amount of time because it's kind of unknown. And then the BC emergency benefits. So those who qualify for the um, federal employment assurance or the new federal uh, Canada emergency response benefit, they're eligible for a one-time tax-free um, payment of um, $1,000. And then for BC homeowners, um, the provincial government has been very strong on saying no evictions and also that, that a landlords um, can receive $500. So, so moving on to um, tax and payment deferrals. So most likely um, this has been in the news and um, on the government websites, um, the tax filing relief. So um, individual and corporation tax filings, um, um, I think that um, the filing is extended until till June and the payments are extended to uh, September 1st. Um, regular business is the same. And then um, for charities, the form T3010 uh, is extended until December 31st. Um, for GST, HST, um, it's extended to um, the end of June. And, and I believe that um, there's no interest um, will accumulate. And then ICBC has definitely done um, deferrals. Um, deferral options um, and assistance during this um, pandemic. And I believe the easiest way is um, you have to you have to have some proof that you are affected, that your 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 income has drastically changed. And the best way is probably to go to the ICBC website on that, as well as BC Hydro. Um, and also, I, um, I don't know if you've seen any buses or you've heard about the um, transit sort of um, reducing schedules, but they've also so um, changed all their um, buses so that there is definitely that safe distance between people, the social distancing, and um, it is free. And for, I don't know if you have any um, employees or yourself is over, um, they're over 71 years of age, but um, if they're over 71, basically they have lowered the minimum RSP withdrawals, um, reduced by 25%. So it starts, um, the factors are starting at 3.96%. I'm just gonna say they might not have employees, but um, employees may have family members. Oh, family members, yes, yeah. thank you, thank you. And um, and again, there's the, the student BC student loans. Um, so starting March 30th, 2020, the BC student loan payments are automatically frozen for six months. And also the one that what sorry, there's one that wasn't mentioned there, but it's the um, health tax. I don't know if any of your organizations are paying the um, the the health tax and basically the BC health tax. And now um, the final payment that was due for the 2019 calendar year has been extended till September 30th of 2020. So here next, um, we're going to talk about the assistance to businesses and nonprofits. So um, supporting service continuity. Um, so, so they have extended the uh, work share program. So this is a program, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but um, the employees can reduce to a three day work week and then the work share program will top up the two days. It actually can be reduced a little bit further to 50%. Um, it is a program where the employee must also agree and the arrangement is temporary, but it can continue up to 18 months and, um, and it would not affect um, their normal EI um, entitlement if they were laid off in the future. I think that's all for that one. Um, I'm just for, gonna say that this, that's a program that has existed yes. for a long time that most, I didn't know about it. I don't know how many of you knew about it, but it's um, it's a good one if, if you're um, reducing services in a particular area or at a particular time. Yeah, it can help mm -hmm. for sure. And then the, the small business temporary wage subsidy, um, this will help employers keep and return workers to their payroll by providing a 75% wage subsidy um, to eligible employees for up to 12 weeks, and it is retro back to March 15, 2020. So, and it, it does include nonprofit organizations and registered charities when they see um, their, their um, business revenue has to drop from between 15, oh, sorry, drop 15% in March and then 30% for the following months. 
I'm not sure if this is applicable um, to your program or not. But again, it's another one that we have resources um, links to look up if you want. And the good thing about this one is it's, it pays your employee a little bit more than EI does. It's paying 75% instead of the 55%. So um, $870, um, $847 a week. And so that's for um, continuing to keep people on your payroll, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah up, to, up to 75%. Great, thank you. And then the employment insurance subplan. Um, again, it's one of these ones that employees agree to reduce their work week, um, work days to um and then there's a supplement. It's a, there's an existing plan, but what it's doing is it it's enabling um, it to extend a little bit further. Um, and again, this one is probably a good one if you're interested in it to look up on on the website. So it's able, able to top up. A lot of people use it for maternity leave already, but it's able to top up employees and um, in EI benefits during a period of unemployment due to a temporary or indefinite layoff. So again, it, it, where it, it helps is under the health-related benefits, um, maternity, sick, um, accident or disability, temporary workshops or stoppage. And the a new Indigenous Community Support Fund, um, on the website, it says the proposals are, are open, but the deadline is April 13th, which is soon 2020, and it helps um, organizations, societies to prepare, prepare um, and respond to the COVID-19. The Enhanced Reaching Home Initiative um, is, I think, the government set aside 150 $57.5 million um, for the COVID. Um, I believe it's a program that's already underway. It is. And I just want to say that they had a, some, some of you might've been approved for reaching home funding um, under the uh, group A. Um, they had a group B that were pending approval and it may be that um, they're going to move on to the group B people, to the, to the um, nonprofits in the group B um, to provide funding because they've extended the funding. We'll have to see how that goes. Then also for the next one, the support for the Women's Shelter and Sexual Assault Centers. Um, there's uh, $50 million was put into um, this program. And um, I believe the government will be contacting um, eligible organizations directly um, starting early April. So those who participate in this program might already um, have been contacted. And just sort of a slide to follow up, the, the government says that it will continue to provide uh, funding for nonprofit agencies and childcare providers, even if they are closed or have to reduce their hours of operation. So if you have to close your um, nonprofit for the moment, uh, your funding will continue. Is that what it's saying? That's what yes. I believe it's, yeah. 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 So, I mean, they don't want anybody, they don't want any of these agencies to close their doors, obviously. They want people to be able to retain their employment, um, even if they're laid off for a period of time. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Okay. So we have, we have, um, we'll go to the next slide, um, identified uh, a number of sites that you can get more information from. The first one is the self-assessment tool that people can use to determine whether or not they, they may have COVID-19 um, or to reassure themselves that they don't, even more importantly. Um, so that's something people should be doing anytime they feel a little bit ill or they can do it on a regular basis. Um, we didn't talk about work place prevention in this webinar, but in the last one, I had one of our experts on, from the Wisdom Group on Health and Safety talk about the ability to be able to screen people, um, screen, uh, sorry, to take their temperatures, um, and which is really important for any of you who provide um, shelter in a, in a, you know, where you've got a lot of people in a large common area. Um, and you can do this for staff and for clients, but 
they suggest just doing using the, the least invasive means possible to take someone's temperature. Um, and of course, it's always good to get your employees' permission to do that in advance. But there's a lot of information here. Um, I also indicated the WorkSafe sites that talk about COVID. I'm sure, you know, you, all you have to do is Google COVID-19 um, BC and you're going to get um, a lot of this information. BC Nonprofit Housing Association has a number of resources on their page, <clears throat> excuse me, and the Wisdom Group. Um, we have a tab as well that has access to uh, a slew of resources, including um, information from the Payroll Association, which gives you uh, more about the mechanics of how to um, how you do layoffs and how you code um, absences or leaves. So we can, I think, take some questions. Mm-hmm. We're going to put you guys on webcam uh, for these. And we've got some questions rolling in now. Send us your questions. Um, Marsha and Jill gave you an overview and there's lots of resources available, but let's get into the nitty gritty here. Um, so a question that came up right away, and this is great because you guys are both HR specialists. Um, do you know anything about how to, like what happens if someone applies for the CERB, but then realizes that they've made a mistake? What's their best course of action there? Because they might be getting payments and and, and the phone lines are yeah. just overwhelmed. Like, there's no way to actually get in touch with anybody right now. Jill, you actually applied, right? So does it have <laughs> anything on the site that it says? Um, yeah, Cancel? I think it's just using the phone line. Um, I know some of the sites have a little assistant, but I don't know if you can do those kind of questions. Most likely, if they do receive a payment, my suggestion is that they keep it aside because they will have to re, re, um, reimburse or pay it back. But um, I suggest, again, the phone lines. Um, I know it's through your CRA account. Um, maybe through there, there's a way of doing a messaging. I don't remember seeing anything. Yeah, and I think that's a good idea. If you, in general, if you receive a payment in error, um, good to just keep it to the side and wait until they follow up with you. Um, because as we know, the phone lines are, are pretty overwhelmed at the moment. Um, okay, so I was just going to say as well that if you apply for EI, what EI will do is determine whether or not your your uh, EI benefit will be uh, lower than the CERB, in which case they will give you the CERB instead for a period of months, and then you go on EI, and I think it's four months, right, Joe? Yes, it's four months. Two thousand dollars a month. Yeah, five hundred a week. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So let's uh, talk a little bit more about. Um, this earning situation. So what about people who don't have the minimum earnings to get EI or the CERB? Um, is there anything available for these folks? So I'm guessing that this question might be coming from, uh, you know, a support perspective, um, clients who might be needing assistance who aren't getting it at the moment. Mm. So not an employee. Uh, it just says, what about people who don't have the minimum earnings to get EI or the CERB? Well, I think that that, uh, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Jill, but if it's not a minimum earnings, it's a minimum number of hours for EI. And I think that the CERB was meant to take that into account if you haven't. Um, yeah. But I don't you, know, to show you were employed, right? Yeah. Basically, you would have to have earned $5,000 in the last 12 months. Um, I think I did talk about it a little bit earlier. Um, I know there was an example that you, Sarah, you had mentioned to us earlier um, about a student who's over 30 who doesn't apply to any of the programs to actually work. Um, it is falling through the cracks. From what I read, they are very familiar that there are there, the government realizes there are going to be some people who do fall through the cracks. Um, I think you had mentioned this person had gone to their MLA um, that's probably the best approach is to to talk to somebody in in the government to see what is happening because I think there is they, they were going to address it I don't know at what point okay and actually this person has provided clarification so if you have casual new employees that have just been hired and aren't working uh, full-time they're in a part-time position would they um, so actually, so does the $5,000 that you've earned in the previous year, does it have to be for your current employer? No, it could be through anything. 
Yeah, oh, okay. yeah. And basically, it could be self-employment. It can be other employment. It can actually be maternity benefits. It can be anything. So uh, income. Okay. Um, so hopefully that's helpful. So if you're a casual new employee um, and you can show that you've earned $5,000 somewhere in the previous 12 months, you qualify for the CERB, hey? Yeah, as long as you haven't worked, I think in the last 14 days, that's the, the catch, unfortunately. So if they've worked a little bit, they're going to have to wait until they, they qualify. Yeah. And okay. I think, again, they're, they're looking at that. The, the next phase is looking at people that are maybe working 10, less than 10 hours a, a week um, to see how they can get help. Mm-hmm. But nothing, there's nothing out there yet. Okay. And then... Um, uh, so this is a question around disability. Um, if someone is on disability and also works part time, are they eligible for EI to top up their income? I, I think it depends on how much they're receiving on disability. Like, I think they're like, like with EI, you can work and I, I apologize. I don't know exactly, but you can yeah. work a little bit and they'll just reduce the EI. So that could be, I mean, I can take, a, I can get back to you what the, the minimum is. Sure. And actually any of, um, we have a record of these questions and also um, yeah. I have access to email here. So if we can't answer your question right now, I'll be sending specifics yeah. to. Yeah, we can look into it put back the response. Yeah. and get back to you. Okay. So let's see here. going to move on up. Oh, this is a great question here. Okay. So um, this is a a nonprofit who's operating in their current budget with allocated funds from confirmed funders, but they're now incurring additional expenses due to the crisis. Um, Are there funds that they can access to assist in these additional incurred expenses? So I know... um if you're funded by either BC Housing or the Aboriginal Housing Management Association, they are providing additional funding to uh, their member or to the groups that they fund. Um, a person from the ministry might be able to respond to uh, any agencies that are funded, like childcare and agencies um, that may be on the on the call. But um, I just know about BC Housing and um, AMA. They are providing additional funding to make sure that you can survive this whole process. Some of that additional funding is for what's called COVID premium pay. So if somebody has a higher risk job, it's uh, to acknowledge the fact that they are taking a higher risk um, and they're providing additional uh, monies for that purpose. Um, I think what you'd have to do is is contact your funder and find out what they offer. Mm -hmm. And also sounds like BC Housing as well, if you're funded by them. Yeah, and maybe the health of, yeah, BC Housing definitely and definitely AMA, uh, which is funded through BC Housing. But um, you can also check with the health authorities if you're funded through the health authorities. I think the, the whole purpose is, and these are all BC government agencies, right, or authorities, is to keep uh, the essential services going uh, and to keep people employed, who okay. are people, even if they have to be laid off, to keep their employment intact. And and they're just giving some clarification here that they're not actually government funded. So they were curious okay. about programs. Uh, so the other programs that they might be able to access to keep their payroll full would be the EI subplan or the work sharing program, uh, both in which, both of which contemplate reduced hours for employees. So they can they can take measures to save on their costs. I think that's what I'm saying here. Okay. Um, and I can send more information on that, okay? So I think I've seen that a lot. And it's interesting because when we were putting together this whole uh, slide presentation, I was really wondering if there might be groups in that position who are more like small business and, and facing a reduction in revenue. So I do have answers to those questions. I just don't have them off the top of my head, but I do know that they can take advantage of some of those other those programs that allow employees to stay on the payroll and for you to be able to re- reduce their hours or reduce um, costs, eliminate benefits and things like that. Okay, great. Well, we'll connect you guys then at the end of the webinar. Um, so can you give us a little bit more information on COVID premium pay? Um, so COVID premium pay is meant to be available to workers who are working directly with individuals and maybe 
in contact with those who are either asymptomatic and have it or, you know, are not well and they, and they, there's a risk of them catching virus. Um, so those workers are essential services workers. They're still providing, they're still doing their jobs every day, but you as an employer would need to um, change maybe the way they're doing their jobs so that they're safe. So either providing the protective equipment and all of that. So that's who this is meant for. And it's an additional incentive to keep them working um, and to help them weather this whole pandemic, um, the whole period. Um, in this, as we all know, in this particular industry, if you want to call it that, in the sector, it's really important to exercise self-care. And so um, this just kind of goes a little bit further and reassures them that they have that cushion uh, in terms of their income during this period. So I want to speak to the amount. It really depends. Um, I've seen groups give a standard amount to all of their frontline workers. Um, you might have noticed that Safeway and Loblaws, um, Sobeys awarded um, $2 an hour extra to their cashiers and their, and their clerks. Um, so that's COVID related pay. I do know of groups where they've got a different dreams of staff, if you want to call them that, it's different categories, some working directly with individuals, some working in shelters, some just basically providing one-on-one -on -one counseling, which can be done on the phone or uh, can be done at a distance. But I guess it, it depends. And there are also groups who some who have building building managers or um, people that do that look after buildings, right, for the housing sector, who are coming in contact with tenants. Um, so you can offer that to them. But then in that case, you might offer a different amount to the different classifications, depending on what they're doing and the risk. Mm -hmm. Good. Um, and then this comes back to the whole uh, gap between uh, able to get in touch with and what we're being told to do. And so someone is talking about their client who applied for EI. So they thought they didn't qualify. So then they claimed for the CERB and then they got paid for both. And they've tried calling in, but they're on a hold for over an hour. So what advice would you give, you know, if these kind of discrepancies are happening? I think um, I've already read an article on that. Um, my advice is to, I don't know which is the larger or the smaller, but um Times are difficult. If you have to use it, you have to use it. But eventually, I think what was it saying is that the CRB will cap at four months. And if it's more, that's what most people are going to. So they'll catch up. Um, they talk to each other so they know who's on EI and who's on C, um, the, the CR, CERB. So I wouldn't worry about it, but just be cognizant that you might get a pay, you might not get a payment later on as they catch up and they'll determine which one on. Um, so right now, don't worry because you apply for both because that's happening and they're just starting to talk to each other. So it, it, it will get, it will get cleared up. <laughs> yeah. And I think I mentioned as well that um, if you apply for EI and they're not going to be as much as CERB, then you'll get the CERB instead. So they are communicating. Oddly enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just sort of being cognizant. Um, yeah, because they haven't figured out yet whether they're, uh, what is it called, clawbacks? So, so they're, what you're yeah. saying, Jill, yeah. is that um, there might be a time later on where you might not get a payment. Payment, yeah. I think I've also read an, yeah, I read an article where somebody got two one thousand or two two thousand dollar payments and the advice was that just you'll know like they will won't you won't get a payment they know when it's going to max out and stuff like that like they're like because it's all through your basically your CRA file or whatever file it is so they they know what's going on it's just I think what they wanted to do with the um CERB is they wanted to get it out to people as quickly as possible. So they're really getting the money out and then they're going to come back and kind of clean some stuff up, I think, and ask more questions for certain people. 
Yeah, that makes sense. I liked what you said about um, just, you know, this is a time of crisis. And so, uh, you know, we were talking yesterday about rent and how sometimes there's other expenses that might be more urgent at the moment. And to, so to connect with your landlord, if you can, or to kind of negotiate that, but do what you need to do right now. I think, too, um, people need to advocate. If they see there's a little bit of an injustice, um, and I'll give you the example of the prescriptions. So they're telling um, medical professionals to prescribe one month as opposed to three, right? Which every time you go and pick up your prescription, there's an additional fee. Um, And so that came out. um, And and I think the government's going to have to deal with that because it's in some cases, the fee is more than the actual prescription. Uh, so so I, I would just say that you need to advocate if you see uh, something that just doesn't look right. The governments are being extremely responsive right now. And uh, it's amazing to me how well they're working together. And I'm usually pretty optimistic and I'm a bit of a Pollyanna about these things. But I've been watching what's been going on in the States and what's going on in Britain. And I think um, our governments are working really well together and responding. And as Jill was saying, they are um, erring on the side of uh, the individual and their families in terms of providing cash support uh, and we'll, we'll fix it up later, right? And the same thing applies to you as, um, as businesses, if you will. Um, you know, they're erring on the side of trust and um, wanting to keep you afloat and open and viable mm-hmm. for when we all return back to some kind of normal, whatever <laughs> that might be. Yeah. Um, so more questions here, just on a logistical level. Um, if EI is transferred to the CERB, uh, where would that person report to? And these kind of questions are coming up, uh, you know, clients, people that are advocating or, or trying to give information to their clients, right? Um, so who would that person report to if um, they had been transferred over? Well, I think wherever they're receiving it from. But if it's EI, it's... Well, everything's going through CRA, isn't it, Jill? Um, Service Canada. It's um, it's it's complicated. <laughs> it is it is complicated. No, I mean the Employment and Social Development Canada. Sorry, I, I forget some of the acronyms sometimes. Um, I think it's still fluid. Um, I know there's talk for even for the CERB that. You have to do a, a bi-weekly report. I'm not sure. I haven't seen that yet. So I think it's something that we might need to do a follow-up and post on, on what is actually happening. I think um, if, if they've been transferred over, in that transfer over, there should be some information on reporting. I just haven't seen anything yet, so not quite sure on it. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll follow up on that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, just as we wrap up here, um, are there any other questions that people have uh, or comments? Um, I liked that poll question where about 20, 30 percent of you said that you had a plan and it was working well. Um, If you want to share about what's been working for you, that's great. Or if there's anything that we may have missed that's uh, working for you and and then Marsha and Jill um, as we wait for those questions is there anything that you would just say you know as HR people um, as leaders as people who care for staff uh, what's one thing that you could encourage uh, so that we can do our jobs better tomorrow you know when we go back to work or a challenge that we're facing today I I think uh, if I were going to give advice, it would be to communicate more than you would normally and give clarity as much as you can and answer people's questions and give them recognition. Um, I'm president of a society that, that offers mental health and homelessness uh, sports, the homelessness. And I, I didn't think of it. One of the board members suggested we do this, but I think the board needs to also weigh in here and maybe you get your chair to send out a note to the staff and let them know how much what they're doing is appreciated. Um, but I think really, I, I know some groups are using Microsoft Teams, which is a great tool, and they're able to get people online no matter where they are, and the numbers are like 60 and up. So um, it's, you know, there's, there's, I'll just simplify it and say communicate, 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 and, and be there for them. 
Yeah. And listen, 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 right? Yeah. I think when yeah. people get scared, they feel like they haven't been heard. So it's really important, I think, to listen to what your staff is saying or employees are saying and, and address the issues as they come up. Um, so you can kind of make them feel like, again, what Marcia was saying, recognize that they're being heard and that we're working all towards what we have to do and, and keeping safe as possible. Mm-hmm. So we have, like I mentioned, the Wisdom Group website. We also have a Facebook page, um, a community page. It's private. Um, and if you want, if you're interested in, in joining the page, it's very early days. I've only, I've only got two people on it so far. But the whole idea is that you can communicate one another with one another and share information. Um, so you guys out there that have the plans that are working well, I'd really love for you to come onto that page and be there as a resource for other groups. Um, and then the other thing is that uh, you you want to be particularly like overly sensitive to people's needs. Um, if you have an employee that normally that what you might see is a work um, a work refusal issue, um, be particularly attentive because it might just be the generalized fear and anxiety associated with what's going on. You don't know necessarily what's going on for them at home um, and who they're looking after. So. It's really important that you, and you, you guys are all like this anyway, but, you know, we exercise compassion and understanding and all those things and take the steps that you can to make them feel safe and assured that you are looking after their best interests as well as the best interests of your clients. So, mm. um, yeah, just exercise that compassion or empathy, I guess it is more now in this period, because there are a lot of tools to help you navigate through. Yeah, that's good. That's a good thing. Thank you, Marsha. Um, just another quick question here before we wrap up. Um, do you guys know if the CERB CERB is operating strictly at the individual level? Um, so, for example, could more than one person in a household be a beneficiary? If they're both working, if they qualify, right? Yeah. Yeah, but it is the individual that has to apply, right? Right. I mean, but again, if they're looking after somebody who is sick and they are a contract worker fall outside of EI, then they definitely should apply for the CERB, right? So there's no but limit. if you have a husband and wife, right? Um, or, yeah, so there's there's no limit within a household. It's, it's based on the individual that they qualify. Yes. Yeah. Okay, good. All right. Well, um I think we're at the end of our time here. We do we did build in a little bit of time for Q&A, but um, I'm going to be sending a couple of these questions to Marsha and Jill as well, and um, especially the specifics, and they will get back to you directly. As you can see, they also have their phone number up here. You can give them a call anytime, or you can send them an email, um, because a lot of times it is there's sort of the high level, here's all the resources, and they've done a really good job of providing that as well as answering your specific questions. But there might be something that comes up for you um, in the next couple of weeks or a couple of days. It's just a very specific question, and you need somebody to help walk you through it um, to figure out, because we are dealing with people here. You know, we're, um, we're dealing with individuals, we're dealing with individual contexts and situations and in your workplace and with your staff or with yourself, there might be some pieces that that just need a little bit of extra translation. So I'd really encourage you to connect with Marsha and Jill. Um, here's their contact info or you can get in touch with us at HSABC. And yeah. I should mention there's no cost at this stage, right? So if yeah. it's a simple, if it's a question and we can answer it for you, we're happy to do that which is amazing. I really appreciate it. So yes, please contact uh, the Wisdom Group, contact Marsha and Jill. They're happy to help you. It is not, there's no cost at this point. Um, do connect with them. Everything is up on our website. So the handout from today, all of the resources that we've shared, that's in that coronavirus disease 2019 sector resources section. So you can uh, find everything you need there. But if you, if that's just too much, you can always just give us a call. Um, the number is not up there for some reason. So I'm going to give it to you right now. Um, the number is 604-722- 5891. Again, that's 604-722-5891. And that would be Jim. And, and we'll get 
we'll try to help you get whatever you need. Yesterday, we, we did some research for someone on a provincial health order, and it helped clarify what they needed to do with their staff. So we're here, we're here to help you with that. Also, it's not on the slide, but um, coming up on the 17th, we are talking to Pivot Legal Society about um, challenges and barriers that are being faced by people in vulnerable populations, especially when it comes to enforcement. Um, so social distancing, social isolation, how do you what are the rights of people who are under housed or homeless and how um, are you able to balance enforcing these public health measures with people's individual rights? So please join us for that. That will be up on our website shortly. And again, thank you for taking the time today. There's there's a lot of information out there. And I really just want to say thank you to Marsha and Jill for translating some of it for us today. It's much appreciated. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much. And again, I just want to say thank you for showing up. Um, in this time of crisis, many of us have already been dealing with another public health crisis and our jobs are already difficult and always an emergency. And so to have this extra layer on top is very difficult. And so I just want to say thank you for continuing to show up, for continuing to care for your staff and your organizations and trying to figure out what works and how to help not only your clients, but um, your team. So thank you for that. And join us again. Take care, everyone. Stay safe, stay calm. HSABC is a provincial, member-driven organization, and our mandate is to strengthen and unify services across BC that are addressing the needs of those experiencing homelessness. Right now, so many of our members as well as their friends, families, colleagues, and clients are facing unprecedented challenges, as well as a total change to our daily lives. And we're here to help support you on the front lines, however we can. You keep showing up, even in the most intense and difficult of circumstances, for the most vulnerable. Thank you for all the work you do and for continuing to do it every day. Our website is hsa-bc.ca and you can find COVID-19 specific resources for frontline and shelter workers, including handouts, posters, webinar video, news and health authority updates, and much more. You can also email us at info at hsa-bc.ca or find us on Twitter at underscore hsabc. Stay calm, stay safe, stay strong.